The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and this week is every week. We're giving you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today is a special pre-recorded program because I am out on my birthday trip driving somewhere between... Buffalo and Montreal, and it's a little hard to go to the station when you're that far away, but also I kind of knew we were going to need this whole show to accomplish what we were trying to accomplish here today, which is to maybe set your entire way of thinking about how one gets rich in real estate um, completely on its ear, to be perfectly honest with you. And it's, um, this is a short, I mean, we have a short time frame here in which to do this, but the, the concepts that we're going to talk about today are something that even if, even if you're like, well, I don't quite get that, you should be writing down, I need to, I need to go find out how to get it because it is, it's, it's a little, no, it's a lot different. <laughs> than the way most real estate investors kind of just culturally just like this is this is the common knowledge this is the common wisdom about how you do it uh think about when they think about building wealth and yet once you kind of do grasp it and hey don't feel stupid if you don't grasp it in the next hour because it took me quite a long quite a long time more than an hour to do it um it's something I want you to like remind yourself to, I'll, I'll give you a couple of books to read. I'll give you a, a, an event on Saturday that you can come to online and just, just don't lose the thought. Don't lose the idea. Uh, if it at all makes you go, Oh yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing and I'm getting the same results. So my guest today is George Antone, who is a best-selling author of a book called The Wealthy Code, a book called The Banker's Code, and also one called Debt Millionaire. I said I was going to give you some books to read. There's three of them. Wealthy Code, Banker's Code, Debt Millionaire. Uh, so George is joining us by phone from his home in California. George, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
Thanks, Fina. It's a pleasure and honor to be on the, on the show here. Yeah, and, and, and we got our work cut out for us today because <laughs> we're going we're going to try and convey a concept that it's actually easy to easier to convey when you could like show people spreadsheets and you know <laughs> give them give them numbers, which is is always tough on the radio, of course. Uh, but just just conceptually, here is kind of the basic problem that I know you have seen over and over again because you yourself invest in real estate. You own some notes. You're mostly a serial entrepreneur, but you're familiar with that whole real estate world. Um, and now you teach, of course, you teach all over the country at real estate associations. The, the problem is there's a couple of frameworks that real estate investors just adopt. And very often the result after they're after they're told to do this and they want you know their friends are doing this and everything the, the result that they get is okay i i'm working hard i think i'm doing everything right i, I i'm getting deals I'm, I'm i'm educating myself i'm and now i'm x years into my investing and somehow i don't feel rich like i i I don't, I'm not where I thought I would be 10 years, 15 years into my real estate career. And, you know, some people blame themselves. They say, I must not be working hard enough, or maybe I need another strategy. Maybe I should stop doing single families and start doing apartments or stop doing apartments and start doing notes. Or they, you know, say maybe this whole real estate thing just doesn't work. And everybody I know has been lying to me for years. There's... (laughs) There's, there's all sorts of conclusions that people come to, but the thing that that you teach so powerfully and have implemented in your own life and had a, had a lot of people implement in theirs is that the problem isn't with real estate and the problem probably isn't with the investor if they're really doing what they need to do. The problem is the frameworks themselves. So I'm going to give you three really common real estate frameworks and you and everyone will recognize these everybody everybody who's listening has adopted one of these three things for sure and i'm going to have you go by go through them one by one and tell us why that doesn't work or what is missing from that or why it is a really just at best a partial framework now what I'd like to do, George, is I'd like to go ahead and take our break a little bit early because once we get going on these, I just want you to be able to to say your thing. So, uh, listeners, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is George Antone, who is a best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, real estate investor himself, and is here today to try to change our minds a little bit about the uh, common knowledge frameworks out there about how to get rich in real estate. So, George... We're just going to go through these one at a time. I'm going to set out something that I know you've heard because the, these these are truly like common knowledge within the real estate culture. Like this is how you do it. 
And I just want you to explain to me and to listeners what, why somebody might be doing this and it might not be getting them the results that they want. Okay, so framework one, you're gonna you're gonna recognize the assets framework, right? Um, what I need to do is buy 20 to 25, say, single-family homes, and then pay them off as fast as I can, use, use as much of the cash flow as I can to pay off the loans that I had to get, um, maybe even flip some properties over on the side and use that money to pay them down faster because when they are paid off, that will allow me to live really, really well on the cash flow from these paid off properties. Sounds like a good strategy. Yeah, so, let's talk about that. <laughs> so I want to start by there's two words you said there that are critical, which is common knowledge. And I want to talk about really quickly about, I think it was Mark Twain. He said something like, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And so part of the problem is when someone believes so much about this quote-unquote common knowledge, and that's what they base everything on. And so let's go back to um, uh, the framework you just mentioned. So it turns out that uh, paying down your mortgage too soon is actually hurting you or slowing you down significantly. So the metric that someone has to start looking at isn't how much money they're making, but rather their purchasing power. So here's what I mean by that is a lot of people are so focused on, um, uh, you know, dollars, but they have to remember that dollars don't buy you the same stuff in the future. In other words, they might buy you less stuff. So when you have to focus on money, making money, focus on purchasing power. Am I improving my purchasing power over time? Because ultimately People only find out when they retire that all these years they've been making money and they can't even buy the same stuff they were buying 20 years earlier. Oh, we don't have to retire. You can, you can look at how much money $100 would have bought you at the grocery store in 2019 versus how much food <laughs> it would buy you today. That's exactly correct. So going back to the, to the framework that you just mentioned, obviously I'm a big proponent of real estate, but it's the way... You, you manage and you match the debt and the real estate throughout the duration that you're investing. And then later on, when you decide you want to take it easy, you can do what's called deleveraging. You can start paying down things at the right time. So the big thing I, I talk about is sequencing. The sequence in which you pay down debt is critical. You don't want to pay it too soon because you actually slow yourself down. In other words, instead of getting to your goals in, say, 10 years, you're going to get there in 20 years or 30 years. So you're slowing yourself down, and you really want to be extremely uh, strategic about when you can deleverage your portfolio. So, uh, so the idea there of paying down your mortgage too soon is actually slowing you down, and then you're going to get to a point where you are receiving, and I have this with a lot of investors and friends of mine, They've paid down all their properties. They're getting a fixed income now. Their rents don't go up that much every year, what, 3%, 5%, whatever. That's not enough. And so what's happening is uh, you're slowing yourself down. You have to be very aware of 
your end goal. You want what's your purchasing power, and you want it to keep going faster than you're uh, using up the money. So, so that isn't necessarily the best framework. There are better ways to get to your goals much, much faster and much more strategic. For a lot of people, it's a feel-good framework, though. They just like the idea of not owing money for mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Maybe they went through the 2009 crash. Maybe their parents always told them never owe anybody money. Maybe they, the, the whole idea of debt keeps them up at night. So f- for those folks, are you ever able to show them <laughs> like on a... Like on a like on a spreadsheet that, yeah, I know it makes you feel better, but you could owe less money sooner if you actually did it my way, and so you could deleverage quicker, but later <laughs> if you did mm-hmm. it my way instead of. Well, just to add to what you're saying, Vina, the the key is managing debt because there is such a thing as too much debt, and there is such a thing as too little debt, and so the question you have to ask yourself if you're driving a car from whatever you're at to a specific destination that's six, seven, eight hours uh, far, you want to be driving at a right speed to get there on time. This, and so what happens if someone is driving on the freeway at 15 miles an hour or 10 miles an hour versus 200 miles an hour, these are both extremes. And the amount of debt or LTV is actually uh, is, relates to speed. How fast are you driving towards your goals? So paying down your debt super fast is slowing your car down. Having too much debt, you're driving too fast and you could easily crash. So the idea there is to manage, and that's the key, manage the metrics, manage the debt so you know you're driving at the right distance. And so when people don't aren't aware of that and having the right metrics, they're driving without a dashboard. They have no clue how fast they're driving. And just because it feels good driving 10 miles an hour on the freeway, doesn't mean that's if you're ever going to get to your destination. <laughs> Very true. Now, you, you said a couple of times that uh, you, don't, you don't mind people deleveraging. You're not like, oh, no, have debt mm-hmm. for your whole life. Well, no, but, no, no. but that there's a, there's a right time. Is it a different right time for everybody? Or is it, something, is it something where we will know when the right time it is if we are watching these metrics? Absolutely, 100%. So the, the, that's, again, the whole idea. As you get closer to your destination and you're about to take the off-ramp, you want to slow down from, say, 65, 70 miles an hour down to whatever the, the off-ramp, you know, 45 miles. And then, so the key is to know when you get closer to your, to your goal, that's when you can start deleveraging. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, that brings up a little side point that if you don't know what the goal is, Mm-hmm. You probably aren't going to know when to do any of this. Um, do you normally recommend that people make some sort of a financial projection years into the future where they say, okay, at this age, I'm probably going to, well, I'm going to have kids to send to college. At this age, I'm going to um, be an empty nester and want to start traveling. And at this age, I would really like to stop ever doing any deals or having a job ever again. I, I am a big proponent of designing your perfect future, your perfect day, and working backwards and thinking about these milestones that you're going to be having to uh, uh, to be to account for. Yes, yeah, so I'm a big proponent of putting a plan together. I yeah, me too. And I, it seems that there are too many people that have sort of these vague. Well, I want to be a millionaire. Actually, that's not a thing anymore. That was a thing when I first got started in real estate because a million dollars would get you through the rest of your retirement years when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to have I want to have five million dollars. 
and then and, and they and th then they can't define well you want to have five million dollars worth of properties you want to have five million dollars in the bank you want to have five million dollars out in notes what's your what's your what is that in did you or did you not just pluck that from the air? <laughs> shouldn't we maybe shouldn't we maybe start with how much um, spendable money do I need to have coming in every month <laughs> so that I can mm -hmm. I can cover my current and future needs? That that might be a good place to start. Okay, so that's scenario number one, which I would say is a very asset based scenario. I mean, the whole focus is on getting those twenty five houses. It's on mm -hmm. getting the good deals, and then it's on. Uh, using as much of the money as possible to pay them down as quickly as possible, which, as it turns out, there's probably a better time than right now to start doing that. Um, is is part of the you, you said uh, purchasing power? Is part yeah. of the purchasing power issue here that so let's say that without putting extra money toward the payoff, which is all you know, just that just means I'm paying more principal every month. I've got 250 extra dollars every month from a rental. If I put that 250 back into principal, the return I'm getting is really whatever the loan amount is. If it's a 6% loan, I'm getting 6% of my money. If it's a 3% loan, I probably shouldn't be using that money <laughs> to pay anything down. But there's that purchasing power issue, which is if I, instead of putting it back into the property, I take it out and I spend it or I make another investment with it or something like that. Today, that money is actually worth more than it will be in 10 years when inflation has made that $250 worth, you know, 150 current dollars. Is that part of the purchasing power thing is just take take the money now because it's worth more now? Yes, yes, and in addition to that, here's what people don't realize, and this is where we go into some of the, in the my regular trainings, we go into this. So leverage structured correctly actually is a shield against inflation. So in other words, imagine you have a $100,000 property and you, it's completely paid off. Inflation is affecting the whole 100000 So by the time you sell it, right you're being exposed to 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 100 inflation in there but if you have in the other case 20 percent of your money in the deal 80 percent leverage your money isn't being affected fully or the property isn't being fully affected by inflation in other words 80 percent is being passed the negative impact of inflation is being passed to the lender and so you're protecting part of that Money. So when we talk about hedging and real estate, that's different than shield. A hedge, they're talking about the appreciation. This is even better. This is a shield. You're putting a shield around you and saying, you know what? Inflation doesn't affect me as much because I'm, I'm passing it to the lender. So as you pay down that the, 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 the debt in this economy, if you're paying down debt, you're exposing more of your money to inflation. And therefore... You have to generate way more return to keep up with with uh, with uh, with that. So that's part of the problem as well is exposing all your your assets, all the money, all, all that stuff into more more inflation, and that's hurting you significantly in this economy. Well, let me let me try and try and try and translate that from um, uh, you know finance expert George to normal people. <laughs> <laughs> 
the bank the bank agreed to loan you that eighty thousand dollars at a fixed rate of interest and you're paying them the same dollars every month for thirty years probably yep but the dollars they're getting are worth less every month so so that's why that's why the the hedge against inflation thing comes into place because all right so I've got this 250 extra dollars I can keep it and reinvest it I can give it to the bank or I can just make my regular payment to the bank which is you know the 800 a month I'm paying is a different 800 a month 10 years from now than it is today it'll only buy you know 700 hamburgers instead of 800 hamburgers exactly <laughs> so so that's that the whole idea of um, loans as a hedge against inflation you got to think about it sometimes in hamburgers you got to think about it in purchasing power <laughs> and uh, it's the bank's purchasing power in that case that's going down instead of your purchasing power that's going that's down exactly. and and the bank does the same game and they pass that to the depositor so the bank knows what they're doing they're passing that all the way down to the depositor so ultimately the saver and the bank is the one losing, right? Because the bank knows exactly how to pass it on uh, to to other people. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to present the second popular scenario that real estate investors use to George and see what he has to say about that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to George Antone, who is uh, trying to give us a more complete framework than the ones that we very commonly use in the real estate world. The real estate world has its own culture, just like I'm sure the doctor world has one and the chiropractor world has one and the coffee world has one. And sometimes it turns out that common wisdom is it just it just becomes like water to a fish we can't see it <laughs> we just we're swimming around in it we can't see it we're trying to i don't know throw you out of the water for a minute <laughs> so that you can see the water and by the way you listeners who are going this sounds like really good stuff but i i'm not quite getting it because yeah flow charts and spreadsheets would help George is teaching a class this upcoming Saturday online. It's all it's all day. It's 10 to 4 Eastern time. Uh, there's a number of RIA groups around the country offering it, so you should check your local RIA's website. But if you don't see it there, anybody can sign up for it through Cincinnati RIA at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, RIA, R-E-I-A.com, by the way, for those of you who want to put extra T's in Cincinnati. Um, and it's killing me, George, that you won't let me tell them that all the registrants are getting like a super special surprise and delight bonus, but let me just say they are, and, and you will be really happy that you came. There is a cost to it, but it's cheap and also hundred percent money back guaranteed. Literally, if you come away from the day going, oh, this isn't for me, you can just ask for your money back since Rio will give it back to you. Okay, George. So common real estate investor thing number two is it's 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 another asset thing but it's a little bit opposite of the first one which is gonna pay everything off as fast as i can it is i'm gonna go out and buy a bunch of properties a bunch of doors a bunch of single families a bunch of mobile whatever it is doesn't matter what it is and i am going to keep them all leveraged as highly as the banks will let me 
if I if I get down to 50% loan on loan to value because the value went way up or I have been paying on it for a long time, I'm going to go back and borrow 80% again because I'm using my equity to go buy yet more properties. So my goal is to have lots and lots and lots of properties. I don't care if they have debt on them because if I have a lot and each of them is only making 250, 300 a month, that's still lots of income, feels feels like, you know, lots of assets to me. Uh, it makes me it makes me feel like I am rich. Any problems with that one? Everything, every single thing about that is, is a problem. So, so let me start by saying this. So, that's dangerous. Okay, let me start with that. So let me let me walk you through the different things wrong with that. Just like I talked about earlier, this idea of having too little debt or too much debt—they're both extremes. One of them, too little debt, will never get you there if you if you have too little debt, or if you have too much debt, you're gonna crash. It's just like driving on the freeway at 200 miles an hour and you're not driving the right car, okay? So uh, let's go with, first of all, having too much debt creates so much uncertainty and so much volatility in your portfolio. Now, in simple terms, here's what it means. If you have too many people move out, you don't even have not too many people. If you stop collecting rent on certain number you're going to crash so fast because it has a cascading effect. And so one of the things we do is we say, you have to manage debt. What does that mean? You have to have the right amount of debt. You have to have the right amount of reserves. But more importantly is you want to have the right type of leverage. So let me expand on that. Having too much, having even the right amount of debt, but the wrong type can really hurt you. So let me expand on that. If you have what's called, if you have, for example, 15-year loans as opposed to 30-year loans, 15-year loans have more, uh, create more volatility in your, or uncertainty in your portfolio. You're better off having 30-year loans, and you can always pay them sooner if you want to, as long as you, you're doing them in the right timing. But George, so the example. bank will give me a 0.5% discount in my interest rate <laughs> if I get a... 15-year loan. I want the you know lowest I to, possible rate. I have to tell you something funny. So everything I'm, we're talking about now, I never actually come out and say it in my classes. What I have people do is do a simulation. And through the simulation, they do the calculations and they're blown away because it is through the simulation that they on, on their own discover a lot of the things we're talking about. To me, I don't like someone just telling me something because I'm going to question it. But when they discover it on their own, it is life-changing. And that's one of the things I love doing with, with students. You see the light bulbs to, uh, pop up. And and it is consistently the same thing I see where people go, no one ever told me this. This changes everything about my assumptions. So going back to the interest rate, the bank will give you a, a smaller uh, a discount in the interest rate because they want to shift the risk to you. They know what they're doing. It's better for them to give you a small discount and convince you to go with a 15-year loan and shift the risk to you. So there's always the shift of risk. Is the borrowing taking on more risk or is the banker taking on more risk? That balance is critical. So they would do it all day long, give you a discount on the interest to shift the risk to you 
anytime. Mm-hmm. And you have to know the game they're playing and play the game backwards and understand what they're trying to do to you. And so that's the part people don't get. Yeah, and 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 let me add while we're while, while I've sidetracked you, that that thing you said about the cascading effect of too much debt on a lot of doors. I have seen that up close and personal many times. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of folks who like got into the business in 2012 and all they've ever seen is escalating rents, escalating property values, banks that were really friendly to the whole idea of real estate and would, would cash you out anytime you wanted um, a market where you can sell anything like this. And for more than you paid, all it takes is a recession where mm-hmm. you know you've got a portfolio of 50 properties and all of a sudden 10 of your really good tenants can't pay their rent because they lost their jobs. Yep. And that turns into okay, we got a cash flow problem this month because it's hard to yep. it's hard to service the debt on the 80% debt on a portfolio of 50 when you're only collecting 80% of your rents. And exactly. then that turns into, okay, I got to kick them out and now I can't get the same rent because a lot of people have lost their jobs. And yep. that turns into, um, I find myself lowering my rents and now I've got to replace a roof and I'm having trouble doing that because I dove into my reserves to pay these payments during this time. And now that tenant moves out because they're not going to live in a leaky house. And, and also there's a bunch of rentals on the market because the vacancy rate's gone up and they can get a cheaper place anyway. And I have seen really smart investors get taken down completely, like lose their whole comp- portfolio completely in less than 12 months yep. because they had they just were over leveraged across the whole portfolio. They didn't even have one paid off property that they could sell or you know get a line of credit on or something to, to take them through a typical recession, yep. which is only 12 or 18 months long. Yep, and I'll tell you, that's, that's the part that when people think about their, their, their managing their properties, they have to also think about they're managing the debt. There's two sides of it. And building wealth is about the matching of the debt and the assets. I cannot stress it enough. So you have to manage both sides of your portfolio, the assets and the debt. It is through the management of the debt that you actually build wealth significantly. And that's the part that people don't get because it is that's the part that people get out of the the workshop, one of the things they get is it's more important to manage the debt than the assets because it is in the matching of these two that actually, and it's exactly for what you're saying there. If they don't do that and they think it's all about the asset and they're leveraging through the hill, they're going to be, they're going to be in trouble very fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and listeners don't think you're too smart for that. <laughs> don't think it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that I'm leveraged to 80% because I also have a great job. Cause guess what might happen to your great job? Exactly. In a recession, there's a there's a smart way to do this, and apparently, leveraging everything as often as you can and as highly as you can is another one that there's you need to be looking at more than just oh, but I but I got forty thousand dollars out of one of my properties and I used it to put a down payment on another property that I also leveraged to eighty yeah. percent of the value. Okay, when we come back from the break, we are going to look at our third scenario. You guys who are like, no, 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 no. When I I get out, I'm going to be a private lender because they make all the passive income. We probably (laughs) need to talk about that too. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, before we drive, dive back in with George Antone, just a uh, quick reminder that the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati's nationwide chapter meeting is tomorrow night. And it's another one of these, people don't talk about it, but people deal with it <laughs> kinds of meetings. It's about how to work in your business with family members and still like your family members afterwards. I, you know, no matter how often you hear that rule about um, don't do business with friends and family, come on, we break it all the time. So we're going to have some discussions with some folks who uh, do business with their family members about how they manage that, how they manage the, the personal side, the business side, and how they um, use, use that partnership effectively to also have a good business. So CincinnatiRia.com, it's online. You get a Zoom link just by going to CincinnatiRia.com. So George, scenario number three. A lot of folks come to the conclusion some way or another that either real estate's not for them or that, that it would be easier to turn it into cash and then loan the cash out. And then they see, they see people making these hard money loans, getting 10, 11, 12%. And they say, well, no, see, that's the framework right there. I mean, 12% interest, how can you lose? Um, 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 and my money's still in real estate, but it's not real estate I have to deal with. And I could, you know, I've, I've figured out that if I have $2 million and I can loan it out at 12%, then I have the income that I want and I'm rich. What could possibly be wrong with that? <laughs> so... Again, I'm a huge proponent of real estate. I'm a huge proponent of private lending. I'm a huge proponent of various assets, but it's not the asset that actually makes you rich. It is understanding how to match it with the right um, uh, underlying financing and and how to make the system work for you. So let me go over the private lending scenario. So I've seen this a lot where people are doing long-term loans Let's just say, as an example, they're lending money out for five years or six years or whatever, long-term loans, interest only. In this economy, it's one of the worst things you can do. And let me explain why. Again, it's a good cash flow, but there's something that's not so obvious. And let me walk people through it. <clears throat> Imagine I lend you 100000 and it's interest only. Let's just say it's for five years. By the so I'm receiving cash all this time. It looks good. It looks good. But by the time I get back my principal, my hundred thousand, here's what the average person thinks. I just got back my hundred thousand and I have all this principal I collected, all this interest payments I collected. Here's the problem. That hundred thousand dollars buys you a lot less. So when you account for inflation or purchasing power, you were able to buy, let's just say, a hundred burgers. And now you're able to buy 70 burgers within 100,000. And what happens though is the interest has to make up for the, for the deficit. And people end up losing in terms of purchasing power if they're not careful or they make so little money. The other part is that the interest is you're paying taxes on that when you account for that and you account for your drop in purchasing power. Many private lenders actually end up making less in terms of purchasing power. It is shocking and it's simple math. But that's why you have to combine growth assets 
you have to have growth assets with cash flowing assets. So yes, private lending can work great if you have something to offset the drop in in uh, purchasing power. Now there are ways to do per, uh, private lending to to negate that, and that is by using some of that principal as like a HELOC or something that's leveraged, so you can pass the negative impact of inflation to someone else, which is the lender in this case. Most people are so focused on the dollars that they're missing the most important thing, which is purchasing power. So that's the problem with private lending, if you're not careful, especially in this economy where inflation is so high. So that's something that people are not accounting for. That's why a lot of people would say private lending only is actually not, it's actually almost a terrible idea because you cannot just focus on income and not have something appreciating to offset for inflation. Okay, let me try to unpack that a little for our newer investors, okay? <laughs> the so so anybody would consider if they weren't thinking about this, would consider a twelve percent interest only loan for five years on a on a good asset, good payer, all that kind of stuff to be a complete win. I put my hundred thousand dollars in, I'm getting twelve percent interest for five years, and then I know I'm gonna get my money back because this is a good property and a good borrower. <laughs> Depending on your tax bracket, by the time you've paid income taxes on your twelve percent interest it might just be 8% interest or 9% interest. So right there, you're losing a chunk of your, oh, yay, I got 12% interest rate. But also, even if inflation settles down at 5% for the next couple of years, if I happen to get paid back my 100,000 next year, it's really only 95,000 in today's dollars. And the year after that, it's really only, you know, 90, 89,000 in today's dollars. I should have a calculator out. But if it really goes the whole 10 years, even at a really modest rate of, of inflation, like 3%, then the number you said, which is what I'm getting back, is really 75,000 in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. it, it's a serious loss in purchasing power. Now, yep. you also said that that can be that 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 your loss of purchasing power can be offset by borrowing the money you're using to lend mm -hmm. which is a i mean that's a that's a strategy that a lot of uh, creative investors and experienced investors know and new investors like you can do what well yeah i mean you're going to have to have an asset to back that <laughs> but yeah. but yeah you can borrow money at a lower rate and lend it out at a higher rate and then as you said that loss that is, well, when I get paid back, it's only 75000 in actual today dollars, becomes that lender's $75,000 instead of your, because you never put any money into it in the first place, or maybe you put a little in, maybe 10000 yeah. of it was yours, and you're getting back 7500 but you probably made way more than that in interest mm -hmm. on somebody else's money. Yeah, and, and the other part, too, is, is you never have a loan that's just perfect enough for every dollar that you want to lend out. So one of the things we find, for example, if I have a hundred thousand, I want to lend out and a loan might come in for 80,000. So that other 20,000 sitting there waiting for the next loan. And it's never, you never have all your money deployed. And so one has to account for that. That's why what I tell people is take that money, buy an appreciating asset and then use the equity to lend out. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're better off doing that. Now, all your money in that deal is, is working for you and you're accounting for inflation. So in every way, you're better off buying an appreciating asset 
and using the equity for for lending. Again, this goes into how the system, financial system works. That's what we talk about in, in my training. In my one-day training, we show them the math behind it. And it's interesting, Vina, just simple decisions that people can make, make all the difference in the world. One might think I'm going to do this decision versus this decision, but they don't realize the impact over time is significant. Seemingly simple decisions, and a lot of people are basing things on common knowledge. And this is part of the problem, is that that common knowledge has been passed down from generation to generation, and it actually doesn't give you the best result. Mm -hmm. and, this is, so, and this is what this is about, is the best result. I, I, it's, not, it's not that you won't get a result doing it your way. It's about okay. how do you get the best result the quickest, because that's, that's exactly. the other thing that... that you know, bothers people a lot is I thought I would be in a different place today than I am. Mm -hmm. And it's because of a whole series of decisions that seemed like the right ones, seemed felt good, mm -hmm. other people were doing it. Um, but the question you didn't ask is what, what, what result were other people getting? And I have heard you say many times the phrase, the system is stacked against you. And I've every time I hear it, I go, I hope people aren't thinking George is a conspiracy theorist. I hope, he, <laughs> I hope he's not. I hope he's not saying, you know, there's this cabal of people that are planning for your financial life to not be good. It, it's not that. It's literally inflation, taxes, missed opportunity costs, the way compound interest works. It's 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 literally yeah. finance and the economy uh, more than it is anybody who's actually out to get you. So my last question, George, because we only have about two minutes left is I think sometimes people hear this and they go, oh man, that, that sounds really amazing and useful, but I don't have a PhD in economics or finance and I can't, you know, I can't read the economic times every day and figure out what's going on with inflation and interest rates and all that kind of stuff. Is there some simple set of just like rules and guidelines that a normal person who's trying to do real estate and not spend all of their time understanding the financial system can use. Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, when you think about say Warren Buffett or a lot of the sophisticated investors, they all have what's called an investment framework. These are best practices for every deal they do within that domain, whether it's stocks, whether it's real estate, whatever. So one of the things we do in our in our trainings is we give people our investment framework, but we walk them through it first so they understand the why behind it. So these are simple rules, simple best practices that everyone can adopt so that when they're making decisions, they're making the best decisions for that one deal. And a lot of our students are coming, going back to their old deals and running this investment framework through their deals and seeing where they went wrong. And they can pinpoint exactly what uh, uh, what they did wrong and, and fix it immediately. So I would say, everyone, you need to have an investment framework. If you don't have an investment framework, you are shooting in the dark, you're playing with fire. This can be a life-changing for the right person. So start by writing down your best practices, the rules. And for anyone who's coming uh, to our training, you know, you're going to get one. We're going to give you our uh, investment framework so you can start using it immediately. And again, uh, check your local RIA. If you belong to a RIA, go, go there and see if they are offering it and sign up for it. It's this Saturday. And by the way, if you can't be there, it is being recorded and all the attendees will get the recordings and all the attendees who are there are going to want them <laughs> because they're going to say, I got to listen to that again and in some, in some spots. 
if it's not being offered by your RIA, go to CincinnatiRIA.com. Uh, you can sign up there. And again, Cincinnati RIA is a nonprofit organization. They're not looking for your $97. They're looking for you to change your investment life. Thank you, George. Appreciate you being here. Uh, we are out of time. And we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.